Hello, everyone. Welcome to the California Association of Tactical Officers podcast, where we discuss a variety of SWAT-related topics. We believe tactics are a science, and the art is in how we apply those tactics. My name is Marcus Sprague. And I'm Brent Stratton. In this episode, I sit down with police promotion expert Andy Borello. Andy's helped thousands of law enforcement professionals improve their performance during the oil board process. We discuss what executives are looking for, some common pitfalls to avoid, and key things you can do to separate yourself from other candidates. Stay tuned to the end of the episode for a generous offer for Cato Podcast listeners. I hope you enjoy the show. So Andy, if you could, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you find yourself developing your approach to oral board dynamics and then ultimately uh, your system for preparing for promotional exams? I know you had a a long career and a successful career. You did a variety of things, narcotics and all that stuff. And so how did you end up in this niche and kind of work it that way? Okay, great. Uh, Well, I started in 1989 and I did about 28 years before I retired as a captain. And as you mentioned, I worked up, you know, everything, very lucky to have been at the right place at the right time, worked patrol, uh, worked as a, a defensive tactics instructor after the Rodney King incident, brought in OC and all the new batons to our department, promoted to a detective, uh, worked burglaries and uh, vice and gangs and, and narcotics, street level narcotics, and then got a lucky jump and I made our SET uh, team, special enforcement team. And from there, I went to LA Impact, which is a major narcotics task force. That was that was a great, great deal of fun. Uh, promoted out of that to sergeant, and that's where I found my niche in the promotion stuff. I'm very competitive, and so when I wanted to be a, a sergeant, I was going to go for it. You know, my dad taught me if you're going to do anything, lean into it. Don't leave anything on the shelf. So I started preparing. What I did is one weekend, I took a, a milk crate that was overflowing with papers and books and bar and leadership and ethics and all that stuff. I spread it all over the, the house and I started putting all the things into organi- organized chapters and, and putting in notebooks, this big giant notebook. And then I tabbed it and I numbered it and made it look real nice. And as I was working narcotics, I was doing long surveillances. My partner started looking at it. They said, hey, this is awesome. I want one of these for when I promote. Can I have it? I'm all no. <laughs> and I started making them copies of it, and I got the idea. I wonder if this could be a book because it was it was you know pretty pretty big. So I started formalizing it again. Started doing some research in light psychology and communication skills, uh, really honing up on leadership and things like that. And I started making the the book a little bit more uh, sophisticated, a little bit more like a book. And I got to a point where I actually called a publisher and I told them, and this is a publisher that handles uh, quick codes. Uh, Glenn Hollister, retired police officer, great guy. And he said, yeah, we're interested in it. In fact, we just bought a new line of books that have to do with promotion, but we have nothing on the oral interview, which is what I was specializing in. So he says, keep writing it, keep refining it, and then send it to us when you think you're ready. So I, I did it for about a year and a half. And fortunately for me, my sister is a professional writer. So, she's so been, that didn't hurt? <laughs> that didn't hurt at all. She's a, she's brilliant. And she uh, edited it for me. Any good book or any good product it has a good editor attached to it. And so um, she edited it for me. I sent it to him. They, they loved it. Uh, and they said, we want to publish it. We signed contracts. And I had a book called Oral Interview Dynamics, my first one. Um, I promoted a sergeant during that time, during that process. Uh, ultimately promoted the lieutenant. I was a lieutenant for 13 years and then made captain uh, before I retired. So with that book, um, as I just published that, I became a master instructor uh, for the state. Um, and so I got, I got really good at teaching and learning all the, the ins and outs of teaching. So I took my knowledge, all my research in the book, 
I compiled that with my ability to teach, put the two together, and I developed uh, my side business, which was teaching people how to promote through the ranks to be successful in their career and uh, do career development. And it started out slow and started picking up as I promoted through the ranks. Uh, I refined it. And in 2013, I wrote my my second version of the book and then self-published. I got away from the publisher, did my self-publishing. And now I'm currently halfway through my second book, uh, which is going to be a promotional pre-preparation, not for the oral interview, but career preparation. And I've been doing it for 21 years now. And I've, I've taught thousands and thousands of officers, everything from line level all the way up to deputy chiefs. I do home consultations. I do seminars, and you know, especially in non-COVID times. Uh, I teach it for CNOA. I teach it for CPOA. And I just do a, a lot of a lot of uh, very satisfying work, uh, especially when people call me up or send me emails and say, hey, I came out number one. So that, in a nutshell, is how I started in it. And it's uh, very satisfying and I'm going to do it as long as I can stand up or sit in a chair. <laughs> How do you feel about being proud of those people that came in number four? Out of curiosity, because that's my number. I came in number four. Yeah, I, It's not a reflection of your help <laughs> that you gave me. It's a reflection of me. Let me ask you this. Was it number four out of how many? Oh, God. Each time I promoted, I was number four. Uh, sergeant and lieutenant. But, but was so, there? Uh, was uh, was four, 10. Okay, so four out of ten is not too bad. Eight or ten. No, no, not bad. I would say that uh, for the people that come out number four, it just gives them a, an opportunity, more experience to come out higher next time. <laughs> just gave a little more experience. Not everybody can do it on the first try. Well, you know what? I know what I did wrong. You know, so yeah. it was it was very clear to me what I what I needed to do better. That being said, what uh what are some of the common pitfalls that you've seen that most of us do wrong when we prepare for the promotional process or while we're performing it? Because you're you kind of focused on oral boards in the beginning. So I know that's your main focus, but I, I also know you're very familiar with the entire process and what right. leaders are looking for. What are some of the common pitfalls you've seen? Uh, pitfalls or mistakes. Um, one of them is waiting too long to prepare. You know, c- cops are, are uh, they procrastinate. The most deadly word in the uh, English language, this is by Robert Kiyosaki, the most deadly word in the English language is the word tomorrow. <laughs> I'll, I'll play with my kids tomorrow. I'll stop drinking tomorrow. You know, I'll lose weight tomorrow. I'll talk to my wife tomorrow. Um, we every put things off. And so uh, a lot of clients, a lot of the people that come see me, here's what they do. Here's that MO. They wait until they pass the written before they start preparing for the oral. And that is a recipe for failure. Um, a lot of times the oral interview is within weeks uh, or certainly less than a month after the uh, written. And if you give yourself one month or less, uh, to prepare, and there's other people competing against you have that have been preparing for six months, you put yourself at extreme disadvantage. So if you want to create an advantage for yourself, start early, treat it like a marathon, not a sprint. Other pitfalls are, uh, here's a big one. When people practice, they practice wrong. When you go in the oral interview and they ask you a question, uh, you have to respond. And when you respond, you have to talk. So uh, if you go to the oral interview, they can't, they're not clairvoyant, they can't read your mind. You have to enunciate words, you have to talk, you have to present. When we prepare, when we practice for the oral interview, you know how most of us practice? I'm talking 80, 90% of us, we practice internally, we practice in silence. It makes no sense to practice in silence internally and failure to turn uh, thought into talk when you have to go to the oral interview and, and talk out loud. There's a big disconnect there. Um, there's an exercise I do with, with some of the people that I, I, I consult with. I have them write down the sentence, I want to advance my rank. And they write it down, no problem. 
And I tell them again, okay, write it down again. And so as they start to write down, I said, with your other hand, do it with your weak hand. So if you're right-handed, they'd write it left-handed. And when they do that, they struggle with it and it takes too long, and it doesn't feel right. The two words they come up with to describe it is awkward or uncomfortable. Those are the, the two big words. <laughs> and so then I relate right. that. Why can't you write with your weak hand like you can write with your strong hand? And they look at me and they say, because I don't practice with it. Then why on earth would you go into an oral interview and practice in silence when you have to talk out loud? It makes no sense. For every answer that I've ever aced in an oral interview, I've said 30, 40, 50 times prior to ever walking in that door. So we go through a lot of exercise for that, and we practice out loud. Mock oral interviews, uh, speak into your, your phone and play it back. Record yourself, uh, speak into a mirror, uh, talk while you're driving, uh, use a friend, a spouse, a friend, a study partner. But give yourself that interview or that speaking dexterity where you used to speak in a whole bunch of different versions. So when you go into that oral interview room when it's, when it's test time, uh, you have that been there, done that level of comfort. It's like writing with your strong hand and not your weak hand. So you got to practice out loud. Especially, you know, the repetitions, right? So now when you add stress, you inject some stress into it. That's where your repetitions pay off because you have it you're inside a and out. You're a SWAT guy, right? Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of stress inoculation? Yes. Yeah. Same. SWAT guys train, 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 train every day. And they do it all the time, especially full-time SWAT folks. Um, and if I did what they did, I would fall out of my chair and, and be sweating and need water, okay, or a medic. Um, but you inocul- inoculate yourself from the stress by, by repetition, by doing it over and over again. The more you do it, the more comfortable. It's like muscle memory. And so when you go into the room and, and you have those three panel, been here, done that, let's go. You're ready to do it. Yeah, we're very good as a profession. We are great at winging it. We can go in, make a quick assessment, wing it. And usually BS our way through a variety of problems every single day. And then it comes to this and we think, hey, sometimes we believe our own bullshit. Yeah. And the problem (laughs) with that is, is uh, we're we're the best at smelling out that bullshit. We're the best at at determining when people are are dancing in front of us. Well, the problem with that is you got three people that do what you do on the other side of the table with more years on. So, yeah, Yeah. it's it's an equal match. And I've I've sat on the other side of, of those panels and you can, that person that showed the discipline really... It shows like the person that looked in the mirror. I still, uh, when I teach a lot of times someone will videotape me and I still catch like, Oh, I can't believe I keep saying that word. Or I turn my head this way and never look left or just these little tiny things. And then when I watch like you and I today sat in a room and, and watch Daryl Evans teach and he's the master, he's a master teacher. He, yeah, he is. He flows. It's simple. It's timed perfectly. And, and just see those nuances of, the repetitions and the art is impressive. Agree a hundred percent. The last one I'll give you is uh, what I call failure to assume the role. Um, what happens is, and, and a lot of people may have heard it like this. If you want to be a sergeant, don't answer questions like an officer. If you want to be a lieutenant, don't answer questions like a sergeant. In your answers, uh, you're going to have opportunities to assume the role. And and if you if you want to do that, you can answer from an outsider looking in, or you can answer in the role you're testing for. So you want the panel to see you uh, wearing those stripes, to see you wearing those bars and handling the uh, answers to successful conclusion in your own answer. So one of the techniques I teach is it's called use your eye language. Um, when we answer questions, we have a tendency to answer in third person. So if I'm going to answer a question, I'll say, well, you need to do this. And it's someone who does that. And a good sergeant is a good leader. And you have to be a good communicator. And it's somebody who's tactically minded 
we, we cover these things, but we're talking about somebody else, not us. We're speaking in third person. There's nothing wrong with that. That's our default. That's how we talk. That's how everybody talks. But when you see the opportunity uh, where they create a scenario or a question where you can be the sergeant in your answer and be the center of attraction, be the star of the show, then take that role and use your eye language. Come up front, go from third person to first person and say, my philosophy is, and then talk about you as a leader. Um, I think that ethics is important, and here's here's why I would do it this way. When you talk about that, um, you're you're giving the panel the image of you in the answer in that role. And that's very powerful, especially when they compare you and contrast against others who are locked into that third person. If you do it, if you do it in third person, you're describing that mythical sergeant, that mythical lieutenant out there that has all these qualities that you want to represent. But it's not you. It's, it's not you. Yeah. Uh, you know where I see that a lot is community panels, because you have to adjust what you're saying and your style to address what they are measuring, and they're not measuring what we measure inside the building where our police department or sheriff's office. The community panels measuring different things. Right. And so the basic version of that would be using carpet jargon, right? But in reality, you have to know who are these people on the panel and what are they measuring. Because when I go, I, I'm going to do this, they don't, they don't care that you're really good at your staff work or you know how to handle tactical problems. That, that might not be what they're measuring. And to figure that out and answer that for them so they go, okay, I do see you at a community meeting working with these other community stakeholders and actually solving a problem and identifying the police department's role versus another community service organization. That, that's affirmative. Little cop jargon for you. Affirmative. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so it's uh, uh that's a very that's a big struggle, and, and I see it in my organization every time we have a community panel. It's it's not that they don't answer the questions correctly; they're just not addressing what the community panel wants them to address. You you know what we call that? It's called conversational speaking. Um, uh, a lot of us will write a script and we'll study that script so we can memorize it. And the reason we do that, obviously, is so we can regurgitate it to a panel later and not forget anything. The problem with writing a script is this. Um, we write formally, but we speak informally, and the two don't meet in the middle. So let's say, for example, I go to my neighbor's house, uh, and he says, hey, let's have a beer. So I go in his garage, and we're, we're having a beer. And he says, hey, have you seen Bill lately? I said, yes, I observed Bill near the parkway. I responded to his location. I contacted him near his front door. Right, yeah, yeah. People, people don't talk like that. Right, yeah. It's okay to report, but if you talk like that and you're operating off a script, don't do that because it doesn't sound human. It sounds canned. It doesn't sound real. And so instead of writing a script, if you want to have something to study, write down uh, what's called like an expanded outline or a bullet list. Uh, it's not script. So you don't go word for word, but it has all the concept and all things you want to talk about. But you say it different every time. So it's the first time you say it every time, but you still cover all the ideas. When you talk about that, it reminds me of uh, a jury trial. Like my first jury trial, I still remember I was brand new officer like less than two years on and uh, I got to sit in the first chair I got to be there before I got to listen to the jury at the end I got to listen to them interview the jury to think what they thought of me and the testimony and the case and and uh, one of the things they said about me is like we could tell this guy's brand new and he kind of doesn't know all the answers but but because he was personable and we felt that he was doing the right thing we forgave him for not maybe knowing all the nuances of what he was talking about yeah i I remember that like you know what you have to be relatable oh yeah i I see that all the time and 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 you'll 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 connect to this there's a likability factor 
if I if I like you, if you're pushing my buttons, if you're like me, I'm probably going to score you higher. Can't help it, human nature. Uh, and and this is a this is a really good thing. If you can relate well and create a connection, uh, connections are created through mutuality and commonality. People like those who are like them, true or false. True. Yeah. Absolutely. So so if you can create that likability, mutuality, and um, commonality, that's the recipe for what we call rapport. And if you can establish rapport with your panel members and and you're you're talking on their level, they're going to love you because that's the type of sergeant they want working for them. That's the type of sergeant that they were. And boy, that's a great place to be in an oral interview. Yeah, great point. Uh, Leading to my next question, what's the funniest thing or a couple of funny things you've seen that have happened uh, during a process or an oral board? Okay. Um, Quite a few, but I'll I'll You don't have to say names. (laughs) No, no, no names to protect the guilty. Um, I'll give you one. Uh, now this, this isn't an oral interview, but it, it was for entry level, but it, but it's one of the funniest ones I remember. And then I'll give you one. That's a promotion one. Um, I was on a panel and we had a young man come in, had a slight Jamaican accent, very well dressed, uh, pretty articulate as well. And we're interviewing him for the position of ca- cadet for a police department. And the guy to my left asked him this question, why do you want to be a cadet for this particular police department? And he explained very uh, thoroughly that he was a security guard at an arena. And as part of his duties as a security guard, he had to stand all the time. He could never sit down. And he's in college because he wants to be an optometrist. And he could never do his homework. And that was a problem. So he figured if he could become a cadet at a police department, he may be issued an office. And in offices, they have desks. He could sit down and get his homework done for optometry school while he's working and that was his answer that's pretty elaborate and we're, we're, we're sitting there with our mouth hanging open saying are, are you kidding me look at each other did he just say that and we had about four or five questions left for this guy and the other guys that had the question he said i'm done okay thanks for coming and that, that was his last question yeah he wanted a job to work for the police department so he could do his homework to become an optometrist got 100 percent on integrity god bless his honesty right <laughs> the other one i'll give you a promotion one i actually use myself as an example um, these are the little nuances that occur. I was promoting the captain, and um, I had obviously had three chiefs on the other side of the, the table. Um, I kind of knew them, kind of came up with them because they're local. And one was a city manager who used to be a chief. And um, as I'm going through this, uh, we get to the end of the interview, and they said this. They said, okay, Andy, that's all the questions we have. This is opportunity now to do your closing statement. So go ahead and take a moment, gather your thoughts, uh, prepare yourself for your closing statement. And then whenever you're ready, please provide the panel with your closing statement. So they said that, I mean, I'm not kidding. They literally said it three times. So I'm looking at them and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a sarcasm, sarcastic on the inside. So I'm thinking, I have to say this. So you're screening and yourself. I, I, you're I, doing I, your best to screen I, yeah, yourself. I, I've got my angel and my devil. So I got to say this. I got to say this. So here's what I wanted to say. I was going to lean forward, look him straight in the eye and say, so just so I'm clear on this, are you wanting me to give my closing statement? <laughs> and you know what? I knew they would laugh. I knew they would get it and yeah, crack yeah. up, uh, but I chickened out. You know, I, I played it straight. I didn't do that. But yeah. I mean, it's like so obvious as a closing statement, you have to tell right. me nine times. I thought that was hilarious when I walked out. You would go out like a rock star. I would. You would come in number four. Yeah, yeah. Like I, yeah I'd come in number four like you did, but no. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be a rock star in your own mind. Exactly. A legend in my own mind. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I have had some. Uh, my most embarrassing one was uh, a testing process. Hopefully someone listening can relate to this. 
no one else in your life cares about your testing process, right? Life goes on, kids go on, wives go on, ex-wives go on. So I pull into the parking lot, I'm, you know, half hour early. Uh, the, the gal that's running the testing process hired me. I've known her for 15 years, you know. And my ex-wife calls me and proceeds to have an argument with me for, for the entire time. So I'm finally done. I hang up on her. I'm, I'm already stressed out. Now I'm doubly stressed <laughs> out. I walk in and I know exactly where I am in the rankings. And I know that this next panel, I have to knock out of the park if I'm going to be in the running. Because I know, kind of knew where I was. Right. So I go in there and I know the people on the panel. They're from other agencies and they're senior executives and very sharp folks, right? And I proceed to go in there and just do everything I can to knock this thing out of the park. But the, the lady that's running it knows me really well. And so she's watching me and, and, and I, and I did well. And the guys later on gave me feedback after like, Hey, you did really well, but you weren't, you weren't yourself. And she, as I walk out, this is the, and you don't have the results, right? You just right. walk out and you're right. wondering. So I'm standing there in my suit. I take a deep breath. She comes over, puts her arm around me. She says, are you okay? I'm like, well, that's not a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> that's not a good sign. Am I bleeding? That's, that's not a good sign at all. Like, am I okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm okay, I guess. And I just drove home. I'm like, well, that's probably didn't go very well. And uh, that's that's a that's a sign. Yeah, it's a sign, right? Are you okay? Never, you never want to leave an oral board and have someone ask you if you're okay if you have a mental pro, uh, oh. health problem. We we had an entry level uh, kid that came in, nice guy, but um, a, a little stocky. We'll say, uh, wearing a members only uh, jacket. Nice. And, uh, and I, I wanted so desperately to say, are you the last member? You know, but, but I didn't. <laughs> um, he was, he was so upset, palpitating, hyperventilating, dripping sweat on his members only jacket that we, we actually had to stop the interview. We got him a water and we escorted him out holding his arms. We asked him if he wanted an ambulance. That, that's, that's how shook up some people get. Yeah. Um, but stress is a big thing. Anxiety. Um, are things you got to deal with. There's all kinds of tricks to the trade. Stress inoculation is one of them. Preparation. There's all kinds of ways to kind of short circuit that, especially to understand what stress is, what the butterflies is, why that happens, and then how to counteract it or use it as kind of a powerful tool. Yeah, you look at the high-performing tactical teams, and they they recognize the physiological response in one another, and they don't they don't even give each other grief about it. Like yeah. they know that's a chemical hormonal physiological response and this supposed is supposed to happen just let it happen don't fight it know that it's okay don't fight nature and and then just move through your move through your day right through right. that event so yeah it was pretty funny i just when you brought that up i totally remembered and my feedback later on was uh hey you just were more nervous than we've seen you be before oh so yeah you were talking fast you were super intense uh that's not we, your regular persona that's not my regular persona and they were like man like we got it we knew you were nervous but we didn't know why you were so nervous because you answered the questions properly. Right. And, you know. But I, it wasn't your, your usual personality yeah. flamboyant yeah, self. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, but, you know, a lot of people, what a lot of guys do is they they, they overthink it um, and they compare themselves to other people. And we hold ourselves to such a high level, uh, high, high expectation that we have to perform, that we have to be perfect. And guess what? Nobody's perfect. Um, so don't compare yourself to other people. They're, they're different animals or different species. And when you compare yourself to somebody when you can't control what they do or what they say, then then why worry about it? Don't don't spend a, an ounce of energy worrying about it. Worry about yourself because you're your competition, not them. Yeah, and I think if you you can understand yourself and accept yourself and still know your strengths and weaknesses, and then you will 
present as a much more genuine person. So when you're trying to be somebody else, even though you're not doing it, you know, for ill will, right? People sense it and they feel like it's disingenuine. Even though that might not be what you're doing, there's no ill intent there. They just sense that it's different, and so then they think you're being disingenuous. So at least that's what I found. Right? I agree. If you want to be better prepared than your competition, then prepare better than them. Just work harder, start earlier, put in more time, and do it smart. Great, great point. That that being said, that's uh, a great question to lead into. What what are the things that, that leaders are looking for during these uh, oral boards? And I know I'm asking you for a very generic question, but there's some common themes that all leaders are looking for when they test for sergeant or lieutenant or or even captain. And and I know you've even helped chiefs, yes, and, and deputy chiefs Often. prepare. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. And there, like you said, it's, it's across the board. There's so many different things. I'll, I'll give you a couple ones right off the top of my head. Um, here's one that a lot of people don't know about. When a chief goes into a panel, regardless of what rank it's for, um, a lot of things that they'll tell them, especially the higher ranks, the chiefs are actually looking for this directly, is if I'm going to promote somebody uh, to a sergeant, part of that promotion, part of the process, part of my chief's interview, maybe for the top three, is to look not only to them as being a future sergeant, but also to be a future lieutenant because it's a stepping stone. Once you become sergeant, that's a promotional stepping stone to the higher ranks. Once you become a lieutenant, I'm going to be looking at my lieutenants as potential captains. Uh, we call this succession planning, you know, preparing them today so they'll be ready to hit the ground running tomorrow. So one of the things that, that we look at is your ability to promote, not to the rank that you're testing for, but the rank beyond that. So it's like a testing, but like a testing ground. So that's one thing that they look at. So if you know that going in, um, you can kind of uh, look at that as, as part of your career development, your future, your future um, planning. Uh, they'll, they'll ask you, what do you want? To, what do you see yourself in three to five years? And that should certainly be part of your answer. Um, we want good decision makers, uh, people that can make decisions. Um, nothing fancy, just real on the fly, common sense. When you're there at three o'clock in the morning and nobody else is there and you're the chief of police and you're a sergeant. Uh, to make sound decisions. Chiefs are looking for people that are not afraid to be the bad guy. And I, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek. When I say bad guy, I mean the adult in the room, mm -hmm. um, the person who can be unpopular, the person um, who can discipline to break away from the POA and do the right thing. Um, have you ever heard the term getting your collar jerked back? I've had it happen. Okay, then you know what it is. <laughs> One yeah. of your jobs as a supervisor and, and what you want to express in an oral interview in, in, in you know certain terms is that you have the ability to jerk somebody's collar back. And what you're doing is you're preventing them from falling off a cliff. We do an exercise where um, I have them write down the word supervision. And then I have them tell me what that means. They talk about sergeant stuff and uh, performance evaluations, improving written work, things like that. And I say, write down supervision again. So they start to write it down. I say, split it in two. Break it down some of its own parts and make it two words and maybe put a hyphen in the middle. So instead of supervision, they write super vision. I say, tell me what that means. And obviously, uh, we come to the conclusion that broad view, the bigger view. So what chiefs want in people that are coming up through the ranks is they want somebody who has that global view, that 30,000-foot view, that organizational view, that broad view, that, that helicopter view. You need to rise above the, the forest, or rather the trees, so you can see the forest, so to speak. And if you can bring that in and have your answers show that you see the big picture, not just the mechanics of what's in front of you, that's the officer's job, but to pull back and look at training and policy and um, professionalism and things like that 
and you incorporate that in your answers, boy, that's very powerful because a lot of people don't do that. They just focus on the mechanics of the answer. I'm done now. And they move on. Yeah, I, I found, and I'm not, I don't have the experience you have, obviously, but they'll either go too much into the mechanics, the tangible, measurable parts, which are good, or they go too much big picture and they don't tie in, hey, here's the big picture and here's the street level specific as a sergeant, lieutenant, captain, what that looks like and how I've already done it. Right. And, and tying those three things together to make sure that you understand, but say, look, here's how I'm already doing it. Right. And burying it, those up. Absolutely. It's the difference between conceptual and tangible. I can say that uh, part of being a good supervisor is uh, being a good leader. But can you take leader or leadership and put it in my inbox and let me look at it? No, you can't yeah. pick it up. It's, it's intangible, right. which means it's conceptual. Um, if you say you're a good communicator, absent any description, that's conceptual. If you say I'm ethical, can, can you put ethics in and pick it up and hand it to me? Ethics is a concept. It's something you do, not something you – it's something you perform. It's something that's instilled within you. So if you give them just the conceptual stuff, um, I'm a leader, I'm ethical, good communicator, I'm this, I'm that, but you don't include the mechanics of it, you know, the, the day-to-day, put your hands on, I make decisions, I go out in the field, I, I quarterback, you know, a critical incidents with, with uh, the team, and you do one or the other but not both, then, then it's not as good an answer. So if you put the conceptual – uh, with the tangible, put the two together, then it's a much more powerful answer. So that's a good point you brought up. Well, I'm looking for a job. I'm retiring yeah. shortly. No. <laughs> side hustle. Yeah, side, side hustle. And just to close that out, there, there's you know all the regular issues: leadership, um, being a true north, and ethical, being able to to do discipline. And there's a, there's a term that that maybe some of your listeners are not going to like, but they're going to know it's real. As a supervisor, somebody's wearing stripes or bars, you can be friendly with your, your officers, but not friends. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And you, you can't be a friend to them and discipline them or write them up or do their performance evaluations. Off-duty, go to the river with them, babysit each other's kids, have a barbecue, high-five, do your thing. Friends all the way. But on-duty, when you're wearing when, – when you're a supervisor or manager, it's friendly but not friends. And I'll tell you this. this is, I like this term. Um, if you feel like you're being the uncool mom or dad – uh, you're probably on the right track because they want you to jerk their collar back because uh, you see the cliff that they don't because you have supervision or they just have supervision. Yeah, and that I, I think people get confused about that because they think that means that they're not caring about their people or they're not the same thing. You know, I, I uh, as you go through the ranks and you – you know, I'll, I'll peek out. I've, I've, I've well passed my where I should be. So lieutenant, lieutenant is probably as far as I'll go. But even as a sergeant, you have to be careful. As an officer or deputy, you can joke around about things that as a sergeant you can't anymore. And your words have, uh, for lack of a better description, more power and more. They can have more barb, even if you're just kidding. As a lieutenant, that's even that's even harder. And I, and I struggle with that because I love joking around with the, the people I've worked with my whole career, right? And now I'm like, hey, I can't really joke around about that with you because with, with every rank, it's going to hurt your feelings more than it would have if we were just peers. Oh, yeah. It stabs yeah. a little deeper. With yeah. every rank comes a, a, a more thick filter. Um, remember that this term is one of my favorite. You teach what you tolerate. So if, if you tolerate misconduct, um, inappropriate statements, um, people that are being um, unprofessional to each other. And I always say cops eat their young. We're brutal on each other. Oh. You know, I wrote an article once uh, for um, the FBI law enforcement bulletin on civility. 
and civility is best practice first amongst each other. And so, <laughs> so if you make a mistake at briefing or down in the locker room, you know, it's, you're never going to hear the end of it. It's like lions on a weak zebra. And so part of the sergeant uh, duties is to not let anybody on the shift be a punching bag, you know, to, to level the playing field. And yeah, I, I would recommend that the, you, you said it, one of the most important things you do as a sergeant or lieutenant is be there for your, your team. Bend over backwards because, because that's your job. You don't have beat responsibility. You're not writing paper. So your job is the people on your shift to make them happy, to make them effective, to make them safer today than they were yesterday. And that's critical. And the happier they are, the happier. It's like happy wife, happy life, right, for the married yes. guys. And it's the same thing at, at work. And if they're safe, they go home at the end of the day, all the better. Yeah, I almost, I feel, and uh, the higher you go, the more you're just serving those folks. And really, we always make it a kind of a pyramid of a chart, but it's actually inversely. Yeah. You know, and and uh, listening from a chief's perspective, not so much a sheriff, but a chief is, you know, that, that guy can get fired on Monday for something a kid did on Sunday night at four in the morning that he's only met twice. Right. When he hired, interviewed him and when he swore him in. And so uh, yeah. it's a vulnerable spot. You know, we see that especially right now. Let me ask you to shift gears a little bit. What do you see are the inherent flaws in our profession's current system and how we do the promotional process? And then I'll, I guess the second part of that is where do you think we should be going? If you were king for a day, King Andy, hey, this is a, a better process to get the kind of people we need to be tomorrow's leaders. Great question. Great question. Um, in my early years, uh, where I where I worked at San Gabriel, our testing process for promotion was an oral interview, and that's it. No written, no assessment center, uh, no no checking evals or anything like that. It was a written. I, I take that back. An oral interview, and so that that carried one hundred percent weight in the testing process. So the problem with that was, and the complaint that people had is, you would have people who had the gift of gab, you know, those U cars salesman types of people. They'd come up and they could speak, and they could talk a bird out of a tree. They got high scores, uh, and they're not necessarily the best pick for a promotional position where somebody who doesn't have those verbal skills or that gift of gab may be much better sergeant, um, but they didn't bring it. They didn't uh, bring their A game uh, to the oral interview, and they scored less than the person who has speaking abilities. Yeah, because part of the process is the test. Uh, 100%. So we're, we're testing your ability to take the test, not just – whatever we're measuring, but also, can you be a good test taker? And you're right. That's a big misconception. People prepare only for the test, but not the position. You know, the, the test is just a vehicle to get to the position, but you better be good in the position, not just right. at testing for it. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a two blades of the same knife. Um, so, so we changed in San Gabriel, like a lot of organizations did, as we kind of become uh, more sophisticated in the testing process, we added a written to it. And so now the combination is a little bit more diverse. Um, it, it rounds out a little bit more. You've got some academic uh, um, prowess to it. And you've got the oral interview communication skills to it. Um, then we started adding the reading list uh, to the, that, the, the legal source book, policy, NIMS and SIMS, uh, POBAR, and things like that. It became a little bit more diverse. As we went on, we started getting assessment centers. That became in vogue. And we started getting assessment centers. The value of an assessment center is that it's more diverse. It, it creates a more robust look at the candidates for the position. So it doesn't, doesn't just hit their oral interview 
It doesn't just hit their uh, academic uh, smarts in a written test, but also puts them into different scenarios like the, uh, the employee counseling session. You may have an actor or somebody, and you'll have to counsel somebody who's doing something wrong, like you would in real life. Or you do an inbox exercise where they, they come in, they monitor you, and they've got a, a list of dimensions. They check you off organizational skills, leadership skills, ability to, to, to communicate. You've got a big box. You've got to go through that like a sergeant lieutenant and tell the tell the uh, the judges what are you going to do with this stuff. This is an emergency that's have to go to the chief. I'm going to write a memo to Lieutenant So and So. That's a big East Coast thing. Yeah, the East Coast have been doing inbox exercises a long time. Yes. I'm not familiar with anyone in California. I'm sure they do. I just not familiar. Yeah, with that's that's not one of the most popular one, but I'll tell you which one is. It's the uh, the ten for five or ten minute presentation. Mm-hmm. So they'll they'll say, okay, you're going to present uh, a proposal on tasers or body-worn cameras, or you're just going to introduce yourself and tell who you are for five or 10 minutes. And you can use PowerPoint or you can use a, a flip chart and easel, um, but you got to get up, stand up, and speak to people, just like maybe you would if you're doing a council proposal or you're speaking to a civic group like Rotary Club or, or Elks Club or Kiwanis. These are some of the things that they test. So the more diverse, the multi-pronged these testing processes are, in addition to the oral and in addition to the written, it creates more of a level or fair playing field um, for selection. And that's that's kind of the fairest way to do it. Now, assessment centers also go in and out of, of Vogue as well. So and they're very expensive, especially for large departments. You get a, uh, the company come in, you can spend a lot of money on that. So it ebbs and flows and different departments do it different ways. And some organizations have even come down to this where MO, the MOU or a side letter of agreement the POA or the management group will actually get with the chief and say, we don't want any testing. Um, you can go off our evals and you can uh, think whoever you think is uh, uh, the criteria of who has enough time on or who's of the appropriate rank and you choose. And and a couple agencies have done that as well. I have seen, uh, yeah, kind of like two philosophies, I think. One of them is the uh, appointment hey, I'm, I'm the big boss, sheriff, chief, whatever, and I'm picking who I think is best for this job, and that's what we do. And right. that's it. That's all it is. Right. Which, you know, can be helpful because they're analyzing not just your ability to take a test, but your ability to work on the street, your reputation, your evals, all those things. But the downside of that is it can become a club because it's just the people that you like. Right. And so that's a problem, right? And then I've seen the other side where it's all process-oriented, almost to the point where, you're just getting people that are good test takers. Exactly. And they score high, but everybody that works with them is like, they they can't do this job. Like, they're not good critical thinkers. They don't follow through. They don't, but they're amazing test takers. And so it's always curious to me in our profession that we haven't blended those two very well to go, hey, we're going to give you a test. And you got to come down on game day. You got to perform. But we're also going to look at your body of work, your resume. Absolutely. The things that you did at our agency, at other agencies, the person you are day to day, how you perform under pressure, how you talk to the public. How many years do you have on? How many positions you've held? How diverse? Yeah. Um, what have you done on your own volition in terms of training yourself or going to schools or training? Are you a member of associations? There's all kinds of things they could look at. Look at and the more, the more diverse they look at you and the more diverse the testing process, I think the better of candidate you can come up with. And it's also a fair process. And I think the trend for law enforcement right now will be more towards decision-making. How do we measure a future leader's decision-making process and what that looks like? I participated in a in a local agency, and I haven't seen anybody else. Maybe you have. 
they they have no one from their own agency be raiders. So it's it's labor intensive because they have to bring in a lot of people. They do a written, they do a standard oral board panel, very traditional. They do a counseling exercise and then they do a prac app where you literally pull up in your patrol car and they have role players with radios in the other room and you have a video of like just what you might see. Oh, that's great. And then you manage that incident as a patrol sergeant. Right. And I've, I've had a chance to sit on that several times and I've also sat on the other parts of it. So it's interesting to see someone who does really well on the oral board and then falls apart in the practical. Right. And they just can't, they don't have that control and the command and, and understanding and then and vice versa. They may be great on the street. Their oral board is just yeah. horrible. Yeah. And, but then I, interestingly enough, all these people are strangers. They're not from that agency. So then we all get together in a room and we go over our scores with the chief and, and executive staff. And we roundtable that. And every single time I've been involved in this process, which has been three or four times now, the chief and the executive staff will be, you guys absolutely nailed that person. Yeah. Like you nailed the strengths, weaknesses. Nailed it. Nailed it. And it's completely independent. So yeah. it's very easy to defend. You know, one of the one of my favorite bold statements uh, of sorts, I actually said this in my captain's interview. Um, if you want to know uh, what type of successful captain I'll be in the future, just look at my success from the past. Um, you know, a, a politician will say, check my record. I stand on my record. What you do in your past is reflective or representative of how you'll be in the future. So if you're a slug and you're lazy and you call in sick all the time, uh, it's probably going to be that way when you're a sergeant as well, or, or maybe even a lieutenant. That's not what we're looking for in, in command staff or supervision. And so if you're, if you're on the money, if you're squared away, if you're an advocate, a stakeholder, if you like to train, um, if you're sharp, if you write good paper, uh, if you don't turn in overtime slips for th three or four minutes, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you don't get yeah. injured because there's a cut on your elbow um, and you do these things well and you work hard in the position you're in now, patrol, detective, corporal, motor, whatever it may be, um, then you're probably going to be that way as a sergeant. And that's what we're looking for. So, so past practice, past performance often is reflective of future performance. And to steal from Jack Enner, we apply that rule to everyone else. And then when we look at ourselves, we go, well, I'll, I, I'll, I'll rise on game day. It's just that's a, we give ourselves those little excuses to, to remember it's a day-to-day -day practice. It's not just the, the event. Jack Hunter is my favorite leadership guru uh, that, that I've seen. So I've, I've seen, I've been to his seminars about six times and I hired him in 2013 to teach at one of my seminars. In fact, one of my favorite quotes of all time is from Jack. He says, why do potentially good supervisors fail? And the answer is because they don't know they're failing. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and so if they don't have a lieutenant to, to get yeah. them on the right path, if they don't know what they're doing wrong, they're just going to repeat what they're already doing because they don't know what's wrong. Yeah. And, Jack's yeah. a great guy. We've actually had him on the podcast. He's taught it. He, he went to the uh, Cato conference in 2019. And, and uh, wow. it was interesting to see, uh, you know, a thousand SWAT cops kind of walk around and you see Jack, right? He's a gentleman. Uh, He's a hilarious. Guy, right? Yeah. And, he turns uh, on that accent. I fall out of my chair laughing. Yeah. And they don't know how badass that guy really was. Like yeah. When you look at what he's done in his life, he was a badass guy. Yeah. And then, uh, so I was curious to see uh, what they would think. And so I'd wait till his session got over and people would come out and I'd go, hey, man, what'd you think of Jack? Like, what'd you, you know, what'd you think of that? Because he's not a doing a hostage rescue debrief, right? He's not, right. you know, and every single person was like, man, that was amazing. Yeah. That was amazing. You need to have more people come and listen to this guy. That oh, was yeah. amazing. 
I, I, I send everybody, uh, recommend him to everybody have his book. What, one of the things I love about him is he's going to an audience full of supervisors, full of lieutenants, full of supervisors. And he'll tell them, he'll talk about uh, problem child, uh, problem children, problem officers, the, the ones that have to do this and do that. And everybody's nodding. Yeah, yeah, we don't like those guys. And yeah, they don't belong in law enforcement. And then he looks at him, he stops dead. He says, it's your fault. Yeah, and the, and the room, just like that. And the room yeah. goes silent. He goes, it's your yeah. fault. Because if yeah. you have somebody who's working for you, uh, and they're not doing good. It's your fault. Correct yeah. them. Correct them. If you can't motivate it out of them, then train it out of them. You can't train it out of them, then start progressive discipline. And and those are the things that you want to bring up in an oral interview. Because if you can exemplify that and, and look at they look at you as, like, wow, that's somebody who's actually going to do their job and be good at it, That that's gold right there. That's points right there. Yeah, it's uh, sometimes we make it more complicated than it needs to be. And Jack's a great guy to just go, hey, look, man, here's what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Don't make it harder than it is. It's hard enough to execute. Don't make it a complex problem. Like simple things, they're just hard to execute. Exactly. Yeah, I, I like him. So uh, we talked a little bit about uh, things we could do better. Uh, the real kind of in closing, uh, hopefully you got some value out of listening to this, everybody. And uh, where can listeners go to learn more about uh, this topic and, and kind of some of the tools that you've created to help us be better successful at promotional exams. Okay. Well, well, first let me, I know cops like free stuff. I know I do. So, so let me give you some resources for free stuff. Uh, let me start real quick with a pro tip. Um, there's all kinds of resources out there where you can get great training for free and you can do it 24 hours a day. Here's one. I just discovered this recently. Um, in some parts of the country, uh, even in California, when you promote to the position of chief, it's open to the public. So in other words, when you take your chief's interview, um, you can walk in and, and watch the chief interview or chief's interview and captain's commander is interviewing for the, the, the chief spot. Hmm. It's open to the public. Not only is it open to the public, but they also record it, video record it. Not only do they video record it, but they put it on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube and you type in police chief candidate oral interviews and you search around a little bit, you'll have the ability to watch hours and hours and hours and hours of captains and commanders and chiefs of police testing for the chief spot. And you'll see fantastic and you'll see average and everything in between as a great free source hmm. of training uh, to watch that. But nobody knows it exists. So I didn't know that. Now yeah, you do. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> Glad yeah. I could help. Yeah. That'll be $150. Thanks. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to call Brent and get some money. There you go. So beyond that, um, if you go to my website, it's www.policepromote.com. I have a blog, and I haven't hit it too, too much recently. Uh, just been too busy. But there's a lot of articles. There's a lot of information on that. It's all free. All you got to do is read it or, or uh, copy and paste it. It's all there for you. It's all about promotion, how to promote, how to do better, how to prepare, how to study, all the things that come in with promotion. And it's on my website, just there waiting for you. Uh, there's also a resource page. And on the resource page, it has links to articles that I've written over the years on promotion and everything has to do with career development and, and career advancement. And so if you go there, you can read about ethics and read about leadership and have links to other uh, people that kind of do what I do, on, but in a different uh, version. Uh, so that's also available uh, to you as well. Beyond that, um, I'm very generous. So if you if you call me, if you email me, I want you to consider me uh, an advocate for you. I'm retired, and so I got time on my hands, even though I'm I'm working more than full time. 
but I, I love that and I respond right away uh, and, and you'll never bother me. If you need to call me, I'm, I'm available 24 um, seven. And if you ask me, hey, I need this or I need that or what do you have on that? I'll be happy to send you something. Here's a freebie for you. For all the listeners uh, to this uh, podcast, if you email me at um, policepromote at gmail.com, it's policepromote, one word, at gmail.com, and just write a game. That's all you got to write. Don't put anything else. Don't explain why you're, you're, you're writing. Just write a game. I'll send you a 30-page ebook that I uh, finished about a year ago on 20 A-game traits of supervisors and managers, and the whole thing has a nice twist to it geared towards promotion. I'll e- email to, uh, that to you for free, no problem whatsoever. Well, that's awesome. I could have used that. Maybe I'd come in number three. <laughs> that would, no, that would have got you yeah, too. Maybe that was yeah, the, that missing you part, too. the missing part. <laughs> um, I also do training. Um, because of COVID, I, I, you know, I've done some Zoom stuff for CPUA. I do the annual conferences for CNOA when they're up and running. Um, and I, I used to do large seminars. So after the plague leaves us, I'll be back doing that again. But in the meantime, I do uh, in-house small group consultations. It's a nine-hour day. I do them uh, twice a month. Um, and I also do special groups. So if you have three or more, um, I'll do any day you want. And that's, you know, just give me a call. I'll explain the, the facts of that. But I do training uh, in my home office in Chino Hills. Uh, it's a nine-hour day. It's a lot of fun. It's intense. A lot of information, but but uh, you learn a lot and you get a lot of materials. Yeah, I can attest to that. I went down to your yeah uh, to your uh, deal with a couple of buddies of mine, and we did that. And then after that, I had you come to our agency and do the one day. Yep, um, which was great. We had a pretty good attendance for people that wanted to learn how to promote. And I'll I'll say uh, a lot of those people promoted since you were last there. Awesome, I love it. And that's I love. I got tons and tons of emails, and that's that's very satisfying. Uh, and lastly, I have a book. Uh, my book is called Police Promotion Supercourse. Um, it, it covers the oral liturgy from A to Z, all kinds of uh, techniques and insider information and uh, communication dynamics and how to prepare. It's a very uh, diverse, there's nothing like it on the markets. There's nothing where you can pick up and go, oh yeah, this is like this book. It's unique unto itself. Um, so I'm very, real proud of it. Uh, it it's, it's served me well and it served a lot of people well uh, too. You get that on my website. And if you mention this show, I'll um, I'll send you the more expensive version that has a, a promotion resource guide to it, which is a which is a nice yeah, that page. Great. Yeah, I love that. And it's updated, so if you remind me, I'll send you a new one. It's way better. Okay. Oh, that's why. It's oh, a new, there, there, see, that's I my see. number four. <laughs> but I'll be happy to send you the more expensive version for the lesser price. All right. Uh, I'll I'll be doing us a dis. Thank you so much. I'll be doing a disservice if uh, I don't mention that uh, I'm going to speak for Andy here and myself that uh, we don't like peanut butter whiskey. And since Brent's not here, we don't have to drink it. <laughs> so uh, Brent, we miss you. Brent's busy right now. He's normally my co-host and uh, he'll be, uh, I'm sure in the next few years looking for that next promotional spot. And I'm sure he'll be knocking on your door because he's got his hands full now as we speak. So awesome. thank you for joining us. And we'll put those links uh, in, in the website for the podcast as well as uh, on Instagram. Awesome. God bless you guys and uh, stay healthy. Thank you for listening to the Cato Podcast. To become a member of Cato, check out our website at catonews.org. If you have a topic suggestion, please send them to podcast at catonews.org. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and rate us on the platform of your choice.